my whole life I have struggled um, with finding happiness, finding purpose, finding meaning, uh, not being depressed. It's been very difficult, um, as it is for many people. I've always been convinced that the root of these problems is, of course, philosophical. And it was only till recently that I had a breakthrough along with these uh, topics that we've been discussing in this epistemology series, um, morality and aesthetics and I think happiness is often overlooked as a philosophical topic at least um, the layman sees it as something very provincial and the the philosopher often doesn't see it as worthy of his or her time uh, I think that it very well should be worth our while. Happiness and its relatives are often what makes life worth living. Uh, you could also say something called satisfaction uh, is what many people think we're looking for instead of happiness or something like that. Regardless, I wanted to really lay out the ramifications that these type of epistemology that we've been talking about has for happiness, and I'll go into this highly theoretical area where uh, I just want to give my two cents. Again, much of this is derived from Deutsch and or Popper, but uh, I do think I have my own spin on things, and uh, I, hope, uh, I hope someone finds them valuable, or at least interesting. So, I welcome you here on this trip through to the definition of happiness. is just it's the most trite topic for discussion. <laughs> I uh, This is common for somebody in their youth, and although it's common for the more elderly of the populace as well. But as with cliches and 
pop music. Triteness often comes with a lingering importance. And this might be there for a good reason. Anything that has this much of a... This much of... This much staying power, we could put it, has to have something to it, or is very likely to. Uh, after all, happiness is certainly one of the topics most written about and tackled by our venerated public voices, from cheesy motivational speakers to religious figures to um, more austere philosophers. The question, what is the good life, predates writing, almost certainly, and likely language itself, um, just like morality. Happiness is also a topic I truly never pictured myself uh, writing or talking about in any depth, but here we are. Uh, many people attempt to avoid it in vain, and I myself am no exception to that rule. I've been allergic to seriously addressing happiness for many years at this point, um, And I think many people share this allergy. If you don't force yourself to confront it, then you don't need to worry about it, or so the logic tends to go. Because happiness always seemed to come with the, the baggage of a, as I said in the intro, a dreadfully provincial subject, something of a banality, but now I feel like I've started to realize um, in the past year over the course of working on this project um, that happiness is simply a concept that we can't go without addressing, especially if anyone wishes to address nearly any other subject of importance on the stage of human life. And to that, I say, happiness uh, does not exist. I'll clarify that. Uh, this is to say that at least the more traditional ideas of happiness are something of a collective charade. What exists are the laws of physics, the laws of epistemology, and other abstract things, however you want to pin those down and how these interact with what we might call the human disposition. I 
guess not even just the human disposition, but the disposition of people. The disposition of universal explainers. Remember the through line of this that we're talking about will always be epistemology in this series. We can't help but to search for progress. And the only way to to progress or to progress in the fullest sense is to be creative. This is the disposition, I think, of any conceivable being of general intelligence in this universe. Any person that may exist. I believe it to be in something like an insurmountable consequence of general intelligence, this striving for progress the capability to understand anything begets the yearning to create, to synthesize knowledge, to discover more than is already known. Or I'm not even sure if it's just a yearning, but it may very well be some sort of law of nature pertaining to all people. Perhaps we'll find out the finer points of this one day. Um, but that will take some rigorous philosophical investigation. And for that, well, more people need to be talking about it. And so I hope, with my humble contribution here, that the ball can begin to roll faster and faster. I support the notion that what we call this fleeting feeling of happiness falls into two main categories. It's either the result of creating new knowledge, or it's a decidedly more shallow result of more mechanical means. And I'll get to what that means in a moment. This conception of happiness is something of a synthesis of, of David Deutsch's work and that of um, the great 19th century philosopher uh, John Stuart Mill, whose utilitarianism most people will know if you know almost anything about moral philosophy, uh, as its utilitarianism is one of the most prevailing, if not the most prevailing, moral theory uh, in contemporary times. Uh, utilitarianism simply being that whichever moral choice you're faced with, you should choose the one which produces the greatest um, 
greatest amount of pleasure uh, compared to any of the other choices. Mill proposed um, a hedonistic calculus, so he called it to deal with how you figure out which decision will be better or worse. And thus, the, the net amount of pleasure created by this choice is the good choice uh, versus, say, pain or something like that. Uh, Mill sort of delineated two classes of pleasure that people can experience. Uh, for him, there are both a sort of lower pleasure and a which is more base and a higher more virtuous type of pleasure so i combined this um, conceptual framework with deutsch's ideas on knowledge and universal explainers to come to the conclusion that there really are two um, classes to be hewn here, and not to be confusing about it, but I call one of them pleasure, and the other one happiness. So to begin uh, with this deceptively complex subject, I would like to delineate the difference between pleasure and happiness. as I think the two, as I define them, are very confused in most people's minds, often including my own. We may think of, to start, happiness as being the less mechanical of the two. Happiness is the result of creation, more specifically, it's the result of the creation of new knowledge. It's this ability to see the world in a different light. The, say, the act of caring for someone in a way that you haven't done before. The acquisition of new abilities. Happiness is the act of progression and creation. It doesn't matter whether you're successfully attempting to fix the refrigerator, which you maybe have never done before, or even if you have done before, perhaps you're doing it in a different way, or it's a different refrigerator, or if you're creating works to contend with Bach, the happiness one that that one might feel in creating the knowledge required to do these things is the same there are of course likely to be differences in the degrees between the two but the basal quality what's really going on there the 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 experience is otherwise the same. 
So many people I find are confused when presented with the idea that knowledge creation is the only way to be happy. They seem to jump to the conclusion then that the happiest people or the people who have the potential or capacity for being the happiest of any of us are scientists and artists and the like. But this is a misunderstanding of the scope of what knowledge creation really is, of what knowledge is, and the different guises that it may carry. You see, new knowledge is created and rearranged and used all the time by people. And the more the better. When your child, say, is learning how to play soccer, she is creating new knowledge about her conception of how to play soccer and the corresponding physics of that whole situation, which may then be abstracted and applied to other, perhaps very disparate, situations, thus creating more knowledge. The knowledge here, in turn, of course, then, will aid in her creation of this new knowledge in other situations, which may be entirely unforeseeable in the future. This is all mostly a sort of implicit knowledge. It's not something that we could easily explain or write out, but it is knowledge that's being instantiated in the brain and the body. It is definitely knowledge. Now, now maybe you can see just how, just how common knowledge creation is and how happiness has many guises. As long as you are doing something in a different way than you have before, anything really, then you are creating new knowledge. Now, as I alluded to earlier, there are certainly differences in degree, but these are proportional to the amount of knowledge that is created. If you are undertaking something unlike you ever have before, or some incredibly involuted task, the amount of knowledge that you create will be much greater than, say, looking at your toilet from an angle that you never have before. In this case, you will still be creating a non-zero amount of knowledge because you're seeing something from a different perspective and, and uh, reorienting your uh, conception of reality because of it. Uh, but this quantity of knowledge may be simply so small that most people won't really recognize it as happiness. Although, interestingly enough, one hears stories all the time about others looking at some mundane physical object from another perspective, and it causes them to think about a whole slew of things in novel ways. 
effectively acting as some sort of catalyst toward knowledge creation and happiness. Uh, moving on to pleasure, we might think of pleasure as being the more mechanical uh, relative of happiness, if it's indeed a relative at all. Pleasure is what the heroin addict receives after years of hard use every time he or she partakes. Pleasure is enjoying sex for the purely carnal sensations it provides. Pleasure is mechanical, or I say that it's mechanical because it is completely physical and involves no abstractions or very negligible creativity. There exists a particularly nasty deceit in the case of drugs and even things such as sex because the very first time or first few times uh, that one partakes in these things, there may truly be more than just pleasure involved because the person experiences reality in a completely new way and creates a great deal of new knowledge as a result. In this occurrence, there will be real happiness there, and that's why this is so pernicious. The two can coincide in one instance, pleasure and happiness, and can be confused with one another. So this is the insidious trap. Uh, one may be trained by their environment to experience their pleasure as happiness, uh, well beyond the true happiness that was created by them during the, their first experiences. Pleasure is mechanical. It's dumb, lame, uh, mute, dulled, and it's inextricably tied to physiology. One of the other differences between pleasure and happiness under my rubric is where happiness is independent and universal of physiology. Pleasure can feed the body, but not, not the soul, so to speak, uh, because that's what happiness is for. Now, one should not be against pleasure as a principle. Um, it's not necessarily a negative force in the world. And it can, in fact, sometimes uh, lead to real happiness. One must simply be wary of the very common lack of return on chronic pleasurable behavior. Because of its intrinsic link to physiology, pleasure, unlike happiness, may not be shared across all people in the definition of people that we've been using. Should we one day create general artificial intelligence or encounter alien universal explainers? 
then what might be pleasurable uh, to them may not be to us, and vice versa. Uh, this is because of the physical basis of pleasure. Alcohol could conceivably be inert in the system of an alien or some AGI, whereas something imbibed by an alien for pleasure may be completely fatal to humans in even small amounts, say. Happiness is based on knowledge and is thus abstract and universal. Any being who has the ability to explain can create new and more knowledge, make progress, and be happy. In the end, pleasure is purely physical and therefore unsustainable. The creation of knowledge, however, is very much sustainable and indeed necessary. There is a profoundly wrong concept out there that things are entertaining. That people, movies, drugs, etc. That all these things can entertain you. But this is simply false. Nothing can entertain you. Only you can entertain you. Because you are the only active participant. As covered in prior episodes, all knowledge of the kinds that we employ is created by conjecture and criticism. And thus, it is the new knowledge that you conjecture in relation to whatever you perceive as the entertainer which is actually what is entertaining. For example, comedy is one of the easier places where this can be seen. When a comedian tells a joke, you must first conjecture what he means, and then you create the idea in your mind of what the joke was. And then as the joke's meaning dawns on you, you laugh because you've filled out this clever set of words and their implications by creating your own new knowledge on the subject. Your conjecture is not the same exact knowledge carried in the brain of the comedian. Uh, it's maybe some sort of re related variation, but it's a completely new uh, epistemological construct and it's especially new to you. Certainly, there's a sense where things can promote your entertainment by somehow more inherently having the proclivity to promote creativity or, or being more interesting to you. But ultimately, we ourselves are the only entertainers. Think if you were someone who has been in a rather bad mood and were dragged out to a movie by your friends or family 
And then despite watching the movie yourself and everyone else is enjoying it, and normally you might enjoy it, you don't have fun this time and are not entertained. This is obviously because you weren't interested in being engaged uh, and you were creating no new knowledge uh, in this instance. So one might ask how, say, how happiness can only be the creation of new knowledge when you can be happy for other people. This is a fair enough question, but I think it's pretty easily addressed. You aren't really happy in this case. You're feeling pleasure. Seeing a loved one, or sometimes even a total stranger, being happy puts you into a position to be more creative, often, as it's often inspiring to see someone achieve and create. You could perhaps say that seeing this is a special kind of pleasure, or not, but because any kind of pleasure can boost the, can but doesn't have to, produce the, uh, or catalyze your ability to be more creative. Um, it entirely depends, in this case, on the one's disposition to the person who is flourishing. It strikes me as plausible that you could see someone whom you dislike flourishing, and it may do the opposite. It may put you in a foul mood and, and in a disposition to be less creative. As with all pleasure... Seeing other humans happy doesn't have any necessity to spark creativity, but it can do so. That said, genuine collaboration with other people will always result in happiness, as the constant back and forth of ideas, conjecture, and criticism is a very creative process if those involved are interested. Um, as almost certainly everything is, happiness is to some degree unsustainable, or may seem unsustainable. I'm not speaking of in riddles or paradoxes here. Um, I'm not being iron or ironic either. Happiness is unsustainable in the sense that it can't be bottled and saved for later, nor felt constantly forever. In fact, each instance of happiness tends to be very short, and then it becomes inert to us. Therefore, we need to ever make progress and create new knowledge in order to experience happiness. This is a good thing, though, because we need to create knowledge for many other reasons as well. We will always need to create knowledge to solve problems, to survive. Every problem solved in the universe brings into our view 
more problems which require our attention. I don't believe um, that we'll ever run out of problems, even if we consistently play our cards right into infinity. The creation of new knowledge is entirely sustainable in that sense. There will always be some threat to survival, or at the very least, there will be problems of more mundane forms. Um, we people are fallible. We can always fail, but we have the means to succeed. And here the cure for failure is also new knowledge, which is often learned from the failure, or at least partially so. Yet it's also an inexhaustible litany of methods. Now, I would say, as long as there are problems to be solved out there, there will be new knowledge to create, and problems aren't going anywhere, so neither is happiness. <laughs>